Today's words comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you are dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have, we, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. We are in uh, part two of our series on the Revived Presbyterian Church Vision. Um, if you are new and, uh, and you're new to our church or you know, this is your first Sunday, welcome. And um, you know, may maybe you're not even sure if you believe in God or Jesus and the stuff of the Bible. Um, today is a good day for you because you're going to hear something that cuts really to the core of the gospel itself and something really precious and valuable that we believe. And if you are already a member, um, and I hope what I'd say today won't be new to you. You'll be like, I've heard this before, I get it, but it won't be old. I hope it'll be something that you go, I heard this before, but it's always good. That's, I believe that, that's what I, I care about. And, and then we're going through this series to help you know refresh and recommit to what it is that our church is going to stand for as we become a new church. And what it is that we want to offer our city and our neighbors um, about our Savior, about our God, Jesus. And so that's what this is about. And today I have a message entitled, All of Grace. Um, I can't even really begin to um, overemphasize, you, you can't, it can't even be overstated, <laughs> quite frankly, that... Um, a church that is really all about the gospel, the gospel, the real good news of what Jesus has done for us, which we could not do for ourselves, is all about grace. It's all about grace, and it's all done by grace. Grace is not simply something that we've received on the front end when maybe you became a Christian 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and you realize for the first time you're a bad person, and you're not going to make it to heaven unless God gave you a mercy and a kindness which you could not have possibly have earned. But that's something you encountered at the beginning. And for the first time, 
You believed in Jesus, and then, we, and then we have this term, you were born again. That's wonderful. But then we have this way of doing church, and then, you know, we ask our members to jump in and do a lot of things, and it's so easy for people to start thinking that, well, at the beginning you get saved by grace, but then you grow by works. <laughs> you grow by the things you do. How smart you are, how good you are, how committed you are, it's all by our works. And I want to say to you, no. That is wrong. And it's completely wrong. Well, not completely wrong. It's about 95% wrong, okay? All right? Because you are saved by grace on the front end. Absolutely, that's 100% true. But then you grow in Christ. We become a church together by grace. That's really what I'm getting at today. And I want to unpack it through this tremendously important passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And um, three parts, as I always do. Part one, um, being dead and encountering better than you deserve. Being dead, that's, that's the way the Bible puts us, all right? didn't say we're kind of bad people and need a little help. It says you're dead, all right? Being dead and getting better than you deserve. That's part one. Part two, offering and giving others better than they deserve. Offering and giving others better than they deserve, because that's the calling. We don't just get better than we deserve to become a son or a daughter of God by grace, and then to be a member of his church, to be the church. The church isn't just doing religion. You know what we're always doing? We're living in grace. We're offering grace. We offer and give better than other people deserve. That's what we're doing, And part three, um, I want to close by talking about something that I know there's going to be deep down. All of us, all of us, every Christian, it's great to be saved by grace. And then we walk in our Christian life, or sometimes not so Christian life, and then we encounter other people, some Christians, some not Christians. And then you know what we want? We want fairness. Not grace. That's actually what we want. We want fairness. You know what we want? We want grace toward me. Fairness about them. (laughs) For me, I demand fairness. So the third part of my message, I'm going to close. I want to talk about a place where we regularly stumble. It's very, very important that we get back to the gospel. It's a deeply important application of the gospel. And I'm going to close part three. I'm going to call it Greater and better than fair, okay? Greater and better than fair. So let's get into this. Part one, um, being dead, encountering, receiving better than you deserve. Let's let's get right into the passage. Part, um, verse one of chapter two. So this is the way the Bible describes us, right? You were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Do you know who that is? For those of you wondering, who is the prince of the power of the air? That's the devil. (laughs) Okay, that's the devil. So we do things the way the normal things in the world. As far as I know, 
Christians, often that's how we behave too. It's not just, oh, those people outside the church, they have the things of the world, and we are like these holy and beautiful people inside here, inside the church. Often we do the things of the world too. And we're supposedly following Jesus, but we follow after this, this being called the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Um, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So if, if you're not a Christian here today, um, sorry to, to, to tell you this, but the devil is at work in you. <laughs> but quite frankly, this devil's at work in all kinds of people. The sons of disobedience are the people who don't know Jesus. Okay, that's, that's, that's just unpacking that opening. Um, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So at one point, we weren't a Christian. We were not born again in Christ. And this is how we lived. We had the passions of our flesh. Now, some people today are going to think that means we had all these like lustful sexual desires or like sensuality or hedonism because, you know, all, like, that's, what, that, that's, that's one manifestation of the passions of the flesh. But that's not really exactly, that's not what the passage is saying. A passion is not even just a strong feeling. The, the correct understanding in the Bible of what a passion is, is a disordered desire. It's not just a feeling that's just like really strong, because that's the modern understanding of passion. It's a super strong feeling. It's actually a desire that's out of whack. And the flesh is not just the body, it is all of humanity apart from God. So when Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about life apart from the Holy Spirit. So it's all of human life that we live according to how smart we are, the best that we can do, how righteous we are, how wise we are, apart from God. And inside of that is filled with all kinds of desires that's out of whack. So let me say this again. So among whom, among all the normal people of the world following after the devil, and they're dead. They're dead. That's what we were. And... We were, we lived in all kinds of disordered and, 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 and messed up desires in our humanity apart from God. And we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Okay, I want to stop there for a minute. It's not just, okay, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to get drunk. <laughs> or I, um, I, you know, like I'm, I'm too into sex. Or I just love pleasure. Okay, that's, those are like the disordered desires of the body, but there are also the disordered desires of the mind. See, it's not just passions of like, it's not just sensuality. Actually, the disordered desires of the mind are much more wicked. <laughs> They're much more wicked. It's things like this. I'm gonna go to work, and that person, I'm smarter than that person. <laughs> and they're a different skin color than me, and I just know that my race is better than their race. And at work, you know, I'm going to say this thing, and it's going to prove that we're better. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, oh, I'm sure nobody in this room ever thinks like that, right? <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're all wonderful, good people, and that never happens at work, right? <laughs> it happens at work all the time. <laughs> you know, there's like racism, superiority, little competition, the need to feel a little superior to that person. It happens in class. It happens in your family. <laughs> this is why brothers and siblings fight all the time. It's the desires of the mind. It's a far more wicked 
than actually the sexual stuff. The, the, these pride, these little wicked little hatreds of the mind are far more wicked than the sex. I mean, you know, like our, our culture thinks that we're all hung up on sex. They, they, they haven't actually, if, if, well, maybe some churches really are hung up on sex, but that's not a good church. Those are actually the lesser sins. Is that scary, crazy to say? The much more wicked sins are the desires of the mind. And that's completely normal. Everybody's got them. You, me, Christians, non-Christians. And this is the way we were. Like, and we were thus by nature children of wrath. This is hard language, but this is really real. And so people go, oh, this is all by, I'm breaking down which seems like blah, 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 religiously in language, but I'm just showing you, what do you mean? This is just normal everyday life. And by normal everyday life, we're children, the way the Bible puts it, of wrath. What does that mean? I think it has, there's a kind of a little bit of a dual meaning there. One is that God has anger and wrath on us, and we deserve his, his displeasure. I think that's, that's maybe the, the meaning that you're thinking of. That is true, okay? Like, that's really bad to hear. I know, that's really terrible. That we are children of wrath, and thus we deserve his wrath. That's true. And some of you are like, is God a God of anger and wrath? I can't worship a God like that. Yes, you have to worship a God like that. Because if a God has no wrath for wickedness, then he is just a big cosmic wimp. Nobody has any um, respect for any person or being in power, and he just lets everybody walk over him because he's just like a super niceness. <laughs> if your mom or your dad just you know, never got angry at you when you did wrong and really bad things, then you would have no respect for your mom and your dad. If you can't respect your boss or your mom or your dad because they never got properly angry, <laughs> then how could you ever have a God? that never was righteously angry. Hmm? So that's one way. We are children of wrath. But here's another way, which is we are children filled with wrath, of wrath. You know, one of the biggest indicators that you're a messed up person, that you're an unrighteous, dead person, dead. dead. That's like the Bible. The Bible doesn't just say, oh, you're, you're a person that's got some problems, and maybe you should go to therapy. Maybe, you know, you could take like, you know, like a chill pill or something. Or maybe if you just had a little more sex in your life or just some more comfort or something like this, and you just went to church and got a little niceness, and then you could be a better person. That is not the way the Bible describes us. The Bible says you're dead. <laughs> you are a child of wrath. That's the way the Bible describes us. That's the human condition. This is going on in here, outside the city. This is what we're dealing with. And... One of the big indicators that we really are children of wrath is not only that we deserve the, the, the anger and displeasure and condemnation of God, but that we have wrath. We're filled with anger. So most of us, if you're like, oh, you know, like I was a greedy person and I, I'm always wanting to steal. <laughs> okay, that, that, I hope you're not like that, but maybe you're filled with greed and you want a bigger house and you're like always jealous of your friend because they got a nicer car than you and you, you know, you know like that's not, that's not good, okay? That's not good. Or maybe, you know, you, you have some kind of addiction and you know that's not good. But you get really angry. I don't know the person who get angry and they get really angry. <laughs> you know, certain fingers get put up while you're driving to work. 
certain thoughts come into your head, when your roommate's just not, didn't, wasn't saying little nice things to you, and then for the next two hours, you're thinking about like little, like little ways to like stab your roommate with your, with like knives, words of, like words that are like worse than knives. Right? I mean, you do this to your roommate. You do this to, I mean, of course, you're like, oh no, I'm not a good, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't actually do this to your roommate. You just do it in your heart. <laughs> I do it too. <laughs> so I'm not saying you like you, we. Anger. We're children of anger and wrath. Why? Because, because we're being sinned against. And then we're filled with sin. And so we return this with anger. And then, and then we get into groups of anger, like, like political tribes of anger. <laughs> and it just like pours out in the news every single night. And then it shows up on your, your, your social media, and then it like drives you with righteousness and anger. So you're, you think it's righteousness, but it's really just anger. So let's stop for a moment. If you're new to this church, there's a, there's a definition of sin um, that I, I occasionally like to, um, like to offer. And for some of the people in, in our church, it just kind of rung their bell. This has helped, right? And maybe it'll help you. And I got this from my professor who got this from Martin Luther, <laughs> okay? Um, the, the famous pastor, Martin Luther. And he says the deep problem of sin is what he calls the incurvatus of the soul. And what that means is, it isn't just that you do bad things, that inside, you know, you know the soul is not this kind of an invisible thing that's inside you, but it's the real core you. And your soul is curved in on itself. It's not opened up toward God and then opened up like the heart opened up toward other people with generosity and kindness and gladness and mercy and forgiveness. Instead, it's always about me. It's like curved in on me. And what happens is since we're always curved in on me, Soon as somebody else does something in our life which somehow steps in on the, the little wonderful me, the incurvatus of the soul, then we get all righteous. You are bad. And so then we have righteous anger. It's in the passage. So, you know, we have, you have fights against your husband, your brother, your coworker, your mom, your dad. So I'm not talking about stealing, murdering, addiction, whatever. We're just talking about just run-of-the-mill way that you and I are human. And it's filled with incurvatus of the soul and then righteous anger. I'm so, so, mm. We're righteous I'm, because I'm right. And I'm righteous and I have the right to be angry at you. So we think we're good and we think we're righteous, and the other person is wrong, and then we're angry at them, and we're, we're like, I'll judge you with my wrath. And you may not exactly use that language, but you get the feeling. And you know what the Bible calls that? I'm a righteous person. You did this. But in the whole, we're all in curvatus of the soul, <laughs> filled with a righteousness, which is not even real righteousness. Because really what we do is something happened, and then you go tell the story. It's really, as a pastor, I listen to, like, you know, you, go, you do, like, marital counseling. The wife says, my husband is bad because of this, this, and this. And you're like, okay, like, wow, that's, he's bad. <laughs> you're like, wow, he's bad. And you're like, okay, hold on. Well, let's, let's, talk to the, let's, let's talk to the dude. All right, tell me, what's the problem? My wife is bad because of this, this, and this. She didn't mention any of those things. <laughs> 
And you're like, really? <laughs> she she shows, conveniently, she never mentions any of those things. And you're like, wow, she's bad. I mean, you know what they're just doing? They see the world according to the incarnation. So it's about me. Not about God and people and real truth. It's just about the story of life is about me. And they violated something, the, my rights. And now I'm angry. So, you know, we have this term called postmodern, where it's not about facts, it's just about narrative. That's horrible. It is horrible. <laughs> because everybody has a narrative, and they tell the story only from their self-centered point of view. <laughs> they tell the stories filled with incurvatus of the soul, and then they get together with other people who agree with them. They tell the story with their group incurvatus of the soul, and then they're righteous over against other bad people, children of wrath. Dead. This is the human condition. Dead. All right, that's a lot of horrible bad news, but real, very real. Let's keep reading. Let's get to the good part. Um, but God, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, remember? I know this, there's like, there's, uh, the city is filled with walking, talking dead people, according to the Bible. And if all we are are like gross, self-centered people that always constantly interpret and then tell stories with our thing in mind, and then we have our righteousness by which we judge and have anger, that, that's, is, that a li is that life? I mean, maybe they're talking, walking, and they seem like they're alive, but according to the Bible, we're just dead. <laughs> but actually, there's a drama. Because God, by the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. <laughs> wow. There's a life to be offered. We think we have this life, but it's just death. <laughs> death filled with wrath and anger. So if you have a lot of anger inside of you, you're, you're probably dying. <laughs> Maybe you're dead. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. So there's a lot of wrath in you. I mean, so you're like, I'm not a depressed person. I'm not, like, addicted to porn. You know, like, I don't overeat all the time. I'm not out of control. But, but you got anger out of control. A lot of incurvatus of the soul that hasn't been touched. You and I are dead, if that's all there is. But... Here's, and now, now we get to the part that's awesome. God made us alive. Made us, um, when, when we were dead in a place, he made us alive together with Christ, with Jesus. By grace you have been saved. There it is. <laughs> By grace you have been saved. You know, the, the famous verse, maybe we could drop down to verse 8, verse 8. The famous verse is verse 8. So then, uh, you know, he goes on and on and on. And then he says, for by grace you have been saved. <laughs> I mean, you, you notice he, he likes to repeat himself. This is the important part. By grace you have been saved. Um, I want to give you a very simple definition of grace. Some people say by grace. Okay, wow. What is grace? It is receiving a gift which is better than you deserve. That's all it is. It's getting better 
than you possibly deserve. So if we are these gross, always telling some half-true story, you understand half-true story is a lying story. Where righteousness is not righteousness. You know, do you know that often, this is, one of the really, this is a really crazy thing about being a pastor, and it's really one of the hard things about growing as a Christian, is you find out that as you grow more and more and more, the thing that makes you righteous is really just your wickedness. I told you, the sins of your mind, not just the sins of the body, the things that you think about yourself, I'm a good person, but actually because I'm a good person, I'm better than you. Okay, that's, okay now you've just shown that you're a really wicked person. Your righteousness is really your awfulness. And into this is grace. You know what we deserve? Wrath. You know what we get? New life by grace. That's why our church wants to be named Revive. We've got to revive people from the dead. <laughs> revive them by new life offered by grace through Jesus. And that's what he offers. People show up at church. Some of them are like completely morally, like I don't believe in God and I'm an atheist and they're like, their lives are all falling apart through like, like obvious moral corruption. And some other people show up at church and they're like, I'm buttoned up and I know how to talk the talk and I know how to be a good Christian, but really, they're really children of wrath, quite wicked, filled with pharisaical hypocrisy. Both people need grace. Hmm. Again and again. All the time. Christians, you have been born again to live this life today and not be dead. You know what you need? More than you deserve. And in this life, we meet this person named Jesus. He's an invisible God. He's an invisible God, all right? Occasionally, we have like artworks by him. And who knows if those artworks are anywhere near accurate, okay? He's like, he's a nice, gentle-looking, bearded man, <laughs> all right? It's like, okay, whatever, all right? And, the, and this real person treats you better than you deserve. All the time. All the time. We just can't wrap our mind around that. And you know why? So then, you know, if the church does what we really need, they'll tell you again and again. Because you go, oh yeah, it's by grace. Then you walk out, okay, by my works. <laughs> Come back into church, it's by grace. Jesus loves you by grace. He actually loves you, which is grace. <laughs> because he actually should condemn you. What you deserve is condemnation. And instead of wrath, he put away the wrath. He took the wrath that we deserve. That's what the cross is. And then he conquered the death and the wrath so he could give us love, new life. That's the gospel. So I want to say one more thing before I go to part two. Um, so some people think grace, I gave you a definition of grace. Better than you deserve. <laughs> Some people think, so that means, okay, Pat, you're a little bit more advanced Christians. You're like, okay, so now, then the second part, he's going to tell us to give grace to all kinds of other people. So that means I have to become a super nice and super kind person. So the other person's mean, and then I'm going to have to be nice. That is not grace. <laughs> that may be one application of grace, and a very common application of grace maybe seven out of 10 times, maybe that's a simple and good, like, they're mean. You bring kindness. You're like, 
Mm, that's tough, okay? That's grace, okay? But that's not all grace is. It's not just super niceness, religion is super niceness, and by duty, now I'm going to have to like, like be nice to this person. This person's mean to me. I'm going to be nice back. That is not what grace is. You know what grace is? Giving them better than they deserve. So sometimes grace is tough. It's interesting, isn't it? So the person's mean to you. In your heart, you're like daggers. <laughs> what they actually need is a firm, tough, gentle conversation. Mostly, I don't even want to talk to this person because when I talk to this person, I just want to drop F-bombs on their head. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but actually what getting better than it, because like one of the ways that we offer love and grace to somebody that doesn't deserve love and grace is to help them stop sinning against you. <laughs> Helping them stop being so blindly. They blindly, blindly just like sin against people left and right, including you. And you're like, I don't even want to do it. Mostly we just want to cut them out. Boom, just boom, stay out. But actually, if you give them better than they deserve, they might need something a little more firmer, tougher. And just at the beginning, you're like, first stop wanting to stab them with my words. And then maybe you just have a new desire. A new desire is, oh, wait a second, give them something better than they actually deserve, which is a realistic conversation that maybe they could possibly hear. They might not hear it because, you know, we're, you know people tell us, could you change this way? And you're like, no, you, you need to change. <laughs> that happens all the time, right? That doesn't happen to me. It only happens to other people. You're crazy if you think that, okay? <laughs> You're crazy. Everybody who knows you well has told you something about a thousand times, and you're like, nah, that's not really true. It's fine. <laughs> but maybe you will decide once, I, I'm going to try to think about how to say something kind of tough, but they need. That's grace. I'm just giving you an example. That's grace. A pastor sometimes gives you a tough word. That's grace. Some, so, you know, you, you, a therapist who basically says, you know what your problem is? And that therapist is kind of like a little bit of a taskmaster. That's actually grace, <laughs> giving you better than you deserve. You know, you have the coach, the coach who kicks you in the rear end and then picks you up and then encourages you. Both is grace. See? All right, let's go to part two. Offering and giving better than others deserve. I want to give you a quick summary of salvation, a quick theology lesson here, okay? There's a lot of things we receive in salvation, but let me offer you three big words. Justification, sanctification, adoption. All of them are by grace. Don't deserve any of them. Here's justification. This is the one that most people hear when you go to a church. They call it a Calvinist church or a Reformed church or a Bible-believing church. This is the one that we love to hear, and hopefully you all know this one. It's called justification. This is the blessing like this. You go before a judge. You know you deserve wrath. And on judgment, Jesus shows up and says, I'm your advocate. I'm with you. All your sin that you deserve, that deserves wrath, will be on me. All the righteousness and worthiness, which is mine, I'll give to you by grace. 
That's the, that's the exchange of the gospel. And in judgment, you'll be justified because your wrath-deserving wickedness is on me. That's why he died on the cross. And so now when we stand with Jesus, so when you, if you go, this is a, not to get overly dramatic here, but let's say one of these days, this is very real. You're going to stand before God. If you stand before God by yourself, you're hosed. <laughs> you're going to go to eternal damnation, and you know what? You're not going to disagree. When you stand before an utterly beautiful, holy God, utterly holy and righteous with no hint of wrongdoing, no hint of wickedness inside his heart, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, that's where I deserve hell. That's re real. We don't think about it because you're like, oh, we're just constantly comparing ourselves to other people. But you ever been around a person who's really, truly righteous? Their heart is truly good. Don't you ever feel this? You're around this person that's really, really good, and you just go, man, I suck. <laughs> You ever had that experience? Just punch that up to infinite degree. And you'll know you don't deserve to be around that person. When you're around a person that good, you don't even deserve to be around that person. That's a human being. Wait till that happens before God. You will want justification. And in Christ, you get it by grace. Incredible, incredible. And he gives you justified mercy every day. We deserve that condemnation every day. We have his justification. Because I'm with Jesus. <laughs> and he took all the wrath away. Incredible. Now, if I just stopped the sermon there, like, wow, that was a, that was a great gospel sermon. But there's more. <laughs> How about that? There's more. <laughs> uh, let, let me go to the second one. It's called... Okay, there's, it's normally called justification and sanctification. But let me, and then let's go to the third one, adoption. You know what adoption is? A new identity and a new family. So first you're forgiven of all your sins, washed of all that wretchedness. And then when you're standing with Jesus, you're utterly justified. Incredible. But now you're like, am I anything? Do I have any worth? I don't know who I am. Does anybody, do I belong to anybody? Does anybody love me? Does anybody consider me precious and valuable? I don't consider myself precious and valid because I don't know who I am. And God gives you a new identity. It's called adoption. You become a son or a daughter, utterly precious forever in a new family. All the brothers and sisters will love you and say that you are precious. And the Father will love you. And you have all the rights and inheritance of being a son or a daughter. Nobody can ever kick you out of the house. New identity, new worth. Given to you by grace. Can't earn it. Can't earn it. And because Jesus says, I'm, so he doesn't just say, I'll give you my righteousness. You know what I'll give you? I'll give you my sonship. Huh. Everything I, I get as a son, you get as a son or a daughter. By grace. Incredible. Again, I could stop the sermon here and go, okay, let's, oh, wow, that was incredible. Let's go one more. Sanctification. That's just a big theological $500 word saying that right now you and I really suck. <laughs> but one day, you and I could be made beautiful. That we can change. We can be transformed. Oh, because if I just do a lot of Bible study and then I just try really, really hard and then I'll be transformed. Well, God's going to ask you to do work and obey. 
But actually, this is the really weird thing. Your work and your obedience isn't the thing that's actually changing you. You know what's actually changing you? The grace. That's what's changing you. The gospel is changing you. Jesus himself, by giving you the power of the Holy Spirit, as you believe in the gospel, and as you trust that this is who he really is for you, you are getting more than you deserve, and as you get more than you deserve, you will change. (laughs) And let me give you one really, really powerful way. So, this is the hope I want to offer you and me and our church, Revive Presbyterian Church. So we come into church. We're filled with incurvitis of the soul, righteousness. Righteousness is actually just dead wickedness. Filled with anger against other people. So, oh, I helped serve this person. I'm, I'm a kind and, and uh, like, I gave money to the poor. I'm such a good person, which is actually just wickedness. <laughs> it's like, isn't it really weird? I gave money to the poor. I'm a good person. I'm so, I'm, I'm so, I'm so proud of myself. Pat on the back. I'm such a good person. Those are the wicked desires of the mind, which just proves that your righteousness is not bad. It makes you bad. <laughs> right? That's actually what's happening. And then they don't actually like acknowledge that you're a good person, so they're like, you're a bad person. I'm better than you. With your wrath. This is what we do all the time. So, how do you actually get out of this, this incurvatus of the soul and self-righteousness, which is actually wickedness? So, in other words, how do you actually get on the pathway to real sanctification, becoming beautiful? <laughs> well, then God does, he'll say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give that person better than they deserve. You're going to be in your mind, in the blindness, and in the, like, the self-centered like, narrative of your mind, you're going to be judging them because you're like, I'm better than you. Because <laughs> you're looking at them according to your righteous law, not according to grace. And so give them better than they deserve. Give them grace. Because now when you give them grace, your wickedness can be cracked, and maybe you can be less filled with incurvatus and pride and self-righteousness. And then you will change and become more beautiful. Sanctification by grace. Isn't that incredible? So we think the things that God tells us to do are a bunch of like works, and it's a bunch of like, this is how I like, I'm, I'm so good. That's actually pride. <laughs> but actually, if you realize the commands he tells you to do are forms of grace, <laughs> they're gifts. They'll help you become more human and alive, not dead. Then you will understand sanctification is by grace. Wow. Real change is by grace. It's all by grace. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's hard. Okay? So I'll give you an example. We go out to a Native American reservation called Bishop. We're trying to reach them for the gospel. They're poor. They're a different ethnicity. They have lots and lots of baggage. They've been oppressed by white American Christians who've murdered them in the past. So we're Christians. <laughs> we're not white. At least that helps. <laughs> right? And we try to love them. And lots of people look down on them because they're poor and they're the, you know, the oppressed people. <laughs> and then we try to show them kindness. And then they're like, these people don't really want to show us kindness. Let's just use them. And so that young 
teenager that you're loving, he's sweet in the morning, and in the afternoon he turns into a monster <laughs> and starts dropping F-bombs. This happens on the reservation. And so our team members go there to love them, and then in loving them, they get hurt. They get hurt. And some are like, I don't want to do bishop. I don't want to do this. Right? Because you're like, I'm a good person. I gave them good stuff. And then they're bad. Then they hurt me back. Welcome to life. Welcome to real mission. You know what we do? Then by grace we go to Jesus. Healed up by his grace. And then we give them better than we, they deserve. And maybe the fourth or the fifth or the tenth time that they give them, we give them better than they deserve, they finally go, maybe you actually love me. And just don't look down on me. And maybe your God is real. Mission by grace. That's what it's like. I want to close my message with a story. And I want to talk about greater and better than fair. What, there's this childish thing that we have. It's a demand and a right. Ever since you're a little kid, you, don't, you never have to teach any kids this. <laughs> they just say this as soon as they can talk. It's not fair. You know how many times I heard all three of my kids say that, especially the baby, <laughs> right? My youngest, it's not fair. When she was saying, every, it's not fair, it's not fair. But you know, Hudson and Laura got this, eh, right? Every time she did that, I always wish I had like a little rubber ball that I could throw at her head. <laughs> it's like, dumb kid, shut up. <laughs> right? It's like, there's like method to this madness, you know? But then we grow up. We grow up. And we don't say it. We, we start, our vocabulary gets a little bit more sophisticated. <laughs> but really, our righteousness has not grown up. It's still, it's not fair. I did this for you. And you didn't do this back for me? It's not fair. There, you're bad. In crevice of the soul, wicked self-righteousness. Eh. <laughs> it happened, this is crazy. You do this in church. In church, we're supposed to do mission. You're supposed to love our neighbors in Christ. So then we go love our neighbors in Christ. We actually go love our neighbors in our fleshly self-righteousness. So the team goes out there to do something in the, in, in the, in the community. Half the team... Okay, that's actually optimistic. One-third of the team <laughs> does it in Christ. Two-thirds of the team does it in self-righteousness. And then they go, but they hurt me. It's not. Mm. And then we give them wrath. This is real. This happens to you and me. So I, 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 all week long, I've been thinking about how am I going to like try to get this real, um, across. I'm going to tell you a story, and hopefully this will help you. Um, so it's a story of something really terrible that happened to my brother. But it's really, the real thing of this story is really about my sin. Okay. About the way I thought I was righteous, but really I was just doing incurvatus of the soul and judging filled with wrath. That's all I was doing. But it took a long time to learn. It's like regularly I'm not seeing it. And I was a pastor at this time. So I'm a professional leader, paid leader to like lead other people to really be like righteous and good Christians. But like I'm like filled with incurvatus of the soul and my self-centered righteousness. So let me tell you the story. 
many years ago, thankfully it was many years ago, um, my brother, so I was in my late 20s, he was in his mid-20s. I was, I was a very new pastor at the time. My brother, um, you know, I had lived on the East Coast, and my brother, you know, came out to live with me. And then, you know, his, his faith and his spiritual life revived at our church. That was, that was a really great time between me and him. And then I had to come back to the West Coast, um, you know, like, and, um, and my brother, after I came back, um, m- met a woman in our church, and they started dating very seriously. He really loved her, right? So I won't say her name. It's a sensitive story. I knew her, too. She was a friend of mine, a friend of my wife. And so we were like, that's cool. That's great, right? They went to a period of their um, relationship where he had to travel a lot for his work. And she started getting lonely. <laughs> and then she had some kind of like make-out session or something. I don't exactly know what. I don't really want to know what. With his roommate. That's bad, isn't it? It gets worse. That roommate was not a Christian. And they were really good buddies in college. And he had invited that roommate to come out there to kind of start up his life because he was in a bad, in a kind of a rut place. And then he invited him to be his roommate and said, would you go to church? What you need is God. So he took this friend who became his roommate, took him to church, and that guy got saved. So this is a close friend. This is a close friend that he gave love and compassion to, to offer him a new chapter in his life, and then he got salvation. And then his friend betrayed him with the woman he wanted to marry. You can imagine how this happened. It broke my brother's heart. He would go back and forth between a kind of like despair and incredible pain and anger and bitterness. <laughs> my brother is like a kind of like a free, generous person. But when I met him, I was like, who is he? He's not my brother. He's this really broken, angry, heartbroken man. And watching my brother be that way, so then he moved back to California, and this is, I was like, my brother is not himself anymore. He's a shell of himself. And watching him be this broken person broke my heart. I was hurt. And guess what? They deserve everything bad. <laughs> I never even met this guy. <laughs> I knew her, so like I would go back and forth between having compassion on her and being angry at her. Compassion, bitterness, compassion, bitterness. I understood why, how this could have happened to her. No! What a B word. I never met his friend. All I could think about his friend is like, this dude is slime. If I ever meet this guy, the first thing I want to do is punch him in the head. That's what I was dealing with. And then... I forget, maybe about a year and a half or so later, um, that church asked me to come and preach at their retreat. I love this church. This is where, the, where my wife and I met, right? We deeply love this church. So I was like excited about going back, seeing our old friends and preaching them the best I got. I, gave, I tried to give them the best I got, right? But inside this trip was this festering wound <laughs> What do I do 
when I see them? What if they come to the retreat? What do I do? Right? So we went out there, went to the retreat. They didn't come to the retreat. Yes. <laughs> I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> These horrible, wicked people that just deserve just horrible, like to like drop into a hole that just goes forever and ever. They didn't show up. I can be happy at this retreat. Thank you. The retreat ends. The end of the retreat, the final worship was going to be at church on Sunday morning. I was like, okay. So we go back, come off the retreat site, go back to church. And I was like, what if they show up at church? All week long, I'm preaching my heart out and so happy to see my old friends and some new, new people I'd never met. But all the time, I'm like festering wound. I'll tell you about this. Before I got there, I had a conversation on the phone with a close friend. He's an old pastor friend. His name is Kenny. And Kenny passed away a few years ago. It was really painful. And Kenny and I could get raw. And I was telling him, this is my problem, Kenny. Don't you know they deserve this? What have you done to fix them? You're their pastor. <laughs> and like, and I was at one point, I was like, it's not fair. I actually think said something like that. <laughs> because they hurt him real bad. And then Kenny got really quiet on the other side of the phone. He says, who's home? By definition, grace is not fair. By definition, grace is so not fair. It's the most unfair thing ever. But we need this unfairness, grace, more than fairness. That's what he said to me. So like, when he would talk to me about them, what I wanted from him was his anger against them. Be with me. Yes. <laughs> you know what he had for them? Grace. I was like, no, I don't want you to have grace toward them. <laughs> I want you to like hate them like the way I hate them because they deserve it. <laughs> and if you don't, it's not fair. But he said, this, but grace is better than fair. And the whole time at the retreat, just thinking, Kenny, man, why has he got to be such a good pastor? <laughs> I was looking like, stinking Kenny, man, why has he got to do things like actually remind me of things like, you know, like the gospel? <laughs> the whole time, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I, I don't know if I could do it. And as we were driving down, as we were driving down from that retreat, and then that church had really great praise. I mean, they had some really wonderful singers and musicians. And it isn't just that they, had, they were good musicians. It was like when the first note would start and the Holy Spirit would just drop into the room and like incredible humility and brokenness would be in the room. That's what it was like. And so I was wrestling with God all the way down the, the road. Like, what if they show up? Hopefully they won't show up. Yeah, they won't show up. Oh, what if they show up? Darn it! <laughs> Walked in the church. I, I was sitting towards the front, so I do not know if they showed up. But in the middle, like the second song, the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart. And it was like saying something about the grace of God toward us. And finally, it clicked. The grace went into my heart. 
I said, Lord, I'll give them better than they deserve. So the service ended. So, you know, I got up to the front. They can see everybody in the room. I'm like, there they are. <laughs> there they are, <laughs> sitting right there next to each other, acting like a normal couple, right? Even though they, their relationship started in this horrible way. And I was looking at them, and I was okay. And after the services, you know, the song ended and went down, and I went, I, I went a, a beeline right to them. And um, I opened my arms and then gave them both an embrace. I'd never met the dude. So I'm like meeting, meeting a guy who I really wanted to punch in his head, but I never even met him. I didn't even, barely even knew what he looked like. So it was like really easy to like hate some person that you don't even, whose face you don't even know. And then afterwards, they told me, I was so scared to see you. And as soon as they said that, as soon as they said that, you know what I heard? I didn't hear something from them. I heard Jesus say, you're with me. <laughs> Get it, Susan? This is what I do. This is what we do. Brothers and sisters, this is what our church is about. This is what we believe. I hope you will want to believe this. And if this is hard for you, I hope you could go before God and say, take my incurvatus, take my self-righteousness, and give me your grace. And just today, say, can I give me enough grace so I can even just begin to even want to give grace? That's a hard thing. But once that starts to break up inside your heart, oh, you're being sanctified. You'll be changing. You're taking one step toward glory and beauty. Salvation by grace. Let's pray. You know, it was an amazing thing, Lord. I, I just, just thinking about that memory. And my brother forgave. <laughs> I remember my brother forgave his ex-girlfriend and his friend before I forgave them. <laughs> it took him a while. And it took me even longer. Lord, um, we, we live in, in the law apart from grace. We live according to our righteousness, not according to your righteousness by grace. We live according to our wisdom and our power, and it's just death and filled with wrath. And today, if there's anybody in this room that's filled with wrath and self-righteousness, and the curved in death sin of their soul. Today, would you tug at them by the power of the Holy Spirit and help them believe once again, or maybe for the first time, in the gospel? <laughs> and I'm not a good, as good a pastor as Kenny, but may whatever I shared tonight, today of your word Help people look toward you, Jesus, and let you unfurl their curved-in hearts by grace. And would you turn us into a church, a family, a community that will believe in you by grace 
that will obey you by grace, that will treat each other according to grace, and that will give people in our neighborhood and our communities better than they deserve. Because not because we're good, not because we're such some special super church and we're going to like prove that, but because you are glorious. You are worthy. You have given us grace upon grace, infinitely greater than we deserve. And because of you, may we take baby steps to live in this grace, to be alive and not dead. Make us this kind of a church, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.